Welcome to Strategy International, a podcast produced by PodMTL that brings you insightful conversations with experts from all over the world on topics related to international relations and policy, security, defense, environment, and much more. And now, your host, George Santrizos. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Strategy International podcast. This is the podcast produced for Strategy International, a global think tank and consulting firm that brings together great minds from all over the world that discuss, analyze, and collaborate on matters of global interest, such as international politics and policy, security, defense, the economy, environment, and much, much more. Of course, you can visit www.strategyinternational.org for all and any information on Strategy International. We have another great guest today uh, with us. Uh, I'm excited to have a conversation with her. She's the founder and director of the International Protocol Institute of California. She's a renowned expert in international diplomatic and corporate protocol industry. She has worked with some of the biggest companies and organizations worldwide, such as the UN, NATO, IBM, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, Deloitte, um, uh, the Qatar Petroleum, Port of Dubai, Dubai Airport, uh, and Chiefs of Protocol from Kurdistan, Yemen, Bahrain. Uh, the list goes on and on. And she has also been a visiting lecturer at the University of San Diego, University of California, and San Diego and San Jose State Universities as part of their MBA program. Uh, quite an impressive uh, uh, bio. We're welcoming today uh, Marie Betts Johnson. Hi, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Hello, George. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, I, you know, we're talking right before we recorded. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you today because, and we've never done this. This is the first at Strategy International. We, we speak with so many uh, experts on so many different fields, and we're talking about hands-on. Uh, uh, stuff that everyone gets to witness and to see up front, whether it's the war in in Eastern Europe or uh, you know developments in Asia uh, or even in the U.S. Uh, but with you, what we're going to talk about is the behind the scenes. You're obviously an expert when it comes to protocol, uh, and, and this is something for someone like myself who's worked in politics for a long time. I mean, we're aware of it. We know it's there, uh, and it's great to have you on so that people can get a taste of what you do, your, your, your expertise and how often you work behind the scenes. Nobody really gets to see you, but it's there. But it, it, if everything goes well, of course, nobody really notices, <laughs> but it's such a crucial uh, element uh, in everyday uh, politics or even in business uh, with, uh, with international events or local events. So I'm very excited to have you on. <laughs> Thank you so much. How long? Yes. Hmm? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yes, I, I, uh, I, I always say that uh, Shakespeare said the world is a stage, all the world's a stage, and the men and women merely players. Right. And But we are the choreographers for those players on that stage. And one wrong move can cause an international incident. But we have to stay behind the scenes. And uh, usually the uh, projects are complex. We're, <clears throat> we're actually uh, doing a proposal now for a project that we need to go uh, on site and research what who are going to be on, on that protocol team. Uh, uh, what what is the training going to look like? There will be different levels of training, and it'll be over a period of time. And uh, so it can be quite complex. It's not it's not it's not just about handshakes and cocktail parties. Mm -hmm. No, that's what no, that, that, that's what everyone sees. What people don't see is how you get, yeah, how you get to the handshake. Uh, let's talk about you a little because you know have, there's a lot of things I want to ask you. But uh, first and foremost, what's the International Protocol Institute of California? Tell us a little bit how it started, why it started. Um, you know, what's the mission? Actually, our our mission is to it's it's it's. Uh, it, it's, we, we actually have executive presence. That's where we start to train people how to present themselves because that, that's ground zero. Then the corporate and the business etiquette part, there's different sections. And uh, then the international protocol specialist training, which is a five-day training program. That's our flagship program. And uh, so how did it start? Well, I grew up in Tipperary, Ireland. And uh, Catholic boarding school, all of that, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a fan of the nuns, but I think they did a good job. 
And uh, uh, and then I went to Jordan and worked for Their Majesties King Hussein and Queen Noor of Jordan. And I think that's where the seed was planted. I, I had the opportunity to meet with uh, royalty from all over the world and visiting dignitaries. And at that age, I was in my 20s. I was totally uh, flabbergasted by the whole thing. And it was a matter of just stand there and do the best you can. Uh, but I learned a lot. And after that, there's there's an expression that the people who mind don't matter and the people who matter don't mind. And I saw firsthand that the people who are something, they don't mind. You can make some mistakes and they'll, they're they usually very gracious about it. It's only the people who don't matter, then they'll, they'll mind. Right. Uh, but that said, the media and the press will always mind. And I think that that's the biggest reason for a protocol. You just cannot have... Um, you cannot have things go wrong, no, no matter what. So, so there's a lot of pressure, and it's all about the details. And then I came to the U.S. and um, studied marketing and merchandising and public relations. I, I, I think it's a matter of loving people and building relationships. We, we grew up with that in Ireland, even at the most fundamental levels. It's about respecting people, liking people. Uh, getting along with people. And, you know, when it comes right down to it, that's what protocol is all about. It's just about respect in, in its simplest forms. But that respect, and particularly from diplomats, you can build trust and having empathy to walk in the other person's shoes. This is this is how things get done. This is the uh, alternative to war. And that's why I'm such a big fan of diplomacy and then the latest thing is I did my master's degree in contemporary diplomacy through the um, Diplo Foundation and the University of Malta. And I'm happy to say one week ago, I got my master's degree. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm very proud. I learned way more than I thought I would. But it was wonderful experience in uh, digging into the lives of diplomats and what they do. Because you can't have protocol without diplomacy. You can't have diplomacy without protocol. Mm -hmm. They they um, they um, carry out the policy, but we have to set the stage to make sure they're successful. All right. I, I want to go back a little bit to that experience that triggered everything for you working, uh, you, you know, over at the, um, the 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 former king of Jordan. That must have been something quite amazing. Uh, I, I mean, you mentioned the fact that you you're receiving dignitaries, even other royal families as well. How was that experience? And of course, you're going into a country where culturally it's very much different from anything that you have probably experienced in Europe. Definitely something that we've experienced over here across uh, across the Atlantic. How do you how do you cope with that new reality and your job? I'm guessing as a staffer, you were you know you you were sort of associated to to his protocol team or to the events organization i mean that must have been something quite spectacular to to realize you know that whole machine that it takes to to put these things together taking into account these cultural differences that may uh, that may exist mm -hmm. yes it was quite quite a culture shock i i must admit but once I got to know the, the Jordanians, they were so hospitable. But again, thankfully, growing up in, in Ireland, where everybody's invited in for tea, in the Middle East, you're invited in for coffee. And it's a matter of sitting down, having those cups of coffee, and getting to know people. They're more than happy to get to know you. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously, uh, we saw that we saw the, uh, I would say, that there's several sides or several aspects to living in a Middle Eastern country. But of course, we did our research before we went and there was a, a group of us. So uh, we explored together and it was it was great. We've made lifelong friendships. And then, of course, um, uh, meeting their majesties, King Hussein was so down to earth. You would never know he was a king. He mm -hmm. never, you know, but he had that sense of presence. He didn't have to to show that he was. And Queen Noor was more than gracious. Um, how well there were moments, of course, when it wasn't uh, culture shock hits, no matter who you are or where you are. And in those days, I don't think I knew as much as I know now. I think I would be much more equipped now after doing a program on cross cultural relations. I should know more now, but. Um, 
again, uh, once it, they, they weren't that different to the Europeans. And they had their religion and we have our religion. And so it was quite, for the Irish, it was easier than we'll say for, from the uh, people who were there from the U.S. I think it was easier. We were more conservative. Right. right. And it helped. How, how do these cultural differences, uh, do you think, you know, the differences and, of course, the traditions, um, how, how does that impact the, 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 the diplomatic protocol and all the preparations? Like, what goes into it and who? Whose traditions and culture do you take into consideration? Um, the host, the guest, uh, somewhere, you know, you meet down the middle. Uh, you know, what's the, the whole mechanics with that? Great question. Uh, it's different for every country and it's different for every guest. Uh, I have a great story about uh, President Rouhani, uh, who was, was the Iranian president back in mm -hmm. 2016, um, after they had signed the nuclear disarmament deal. Uh, the Iranians, uh, it was decided that they would go to Europe, build the trade relationships between France and Italy. Um, and so a trip was planned. And President Rouhani first went to Italy. And the Italians pulled out all of the stops. And their protocol policy was, okay, it might be offensive if uh, the Iranian delegation would see the nude pictures of uh, that was such a, in the museums. That's oh, the sculptures, a, yes. The sculptures, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in the museums. And uh, of course, they, they draped all of the sculptures and they put uh, um, uh, barriers around them. Number two, they didn't serve wine with dinner or, or lunch. And can you imagine the Italians not serving wine? And so the Iranians were very pleased and the talks went well. However, the Italian public were not pleased. Right. They were outraged that their traditions were um, not adhered to. And compare that with the, when he then went on to France and met with uh, Francois Hollande. Yeah. And my gosh, the French said, we're having wine with lunch. We're having wine with dinner. To heck with this, this uh, cultural awareness. And the fallout was the people of France were very happy, but the delegation, the Iranian delegation, did not show up for lunch. Mm. So the talks didn't go very well. Now, that that's a, a great example of policy. Uh, it was the policy of the French to do that. And protocol people have to follow the policy that's mandated. And... Uh, but the French people were not happy, <clears throat> and the Iranians were happy <clears throat> in Italy. Excuse me. And um, so it's it's complicated. Uh, you can't please everybody. But at the end of the day, my theory is, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a guest or if the there's a visiting delegation, you know, you're supposed to be open-minded and let them entertain you. In, in the best manner they know how. Mm -hmm. We'll say that's one thing about the Middle Easterners. They'll pull out all the stops to make sure that you have everything you need. Mm -hmm. But they're also they're also quite strict on you re uh, respecting their culture. I remember uh, another visit. I, I can't remember where um, uh, when it was, but it was um, uh, Mrs. Le Pen from France. I think she went somewhere in the Middle East and she wanted to go into a mosque and she didn't want to wear a veil, and it was the um, it, it made international news because finally she never, they didn't allow her in. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe she went to get the clip. Who knows? I don't know what the the, the story was behind it. But um, the point I'm trying to make is that you know when, when when dealing with countries in the Middle East, they may go all the way out to please the the the, the their guests, but at the same time they demand that there's a certain respect to their cultures and their traditions. Absolutely. Uh, in Jordan, it wasn't quite so... Uh, Jordan is very cosmopolitan, actually. Right. A man Jordan. Uh, but in if I was Saudi, in Saudi Arabia, for sure, I would probably wear the veil. But why not? I mean, that's their, their, their tradition. That's their mm -hmm. culture. Right. And, you know, I, I'm not going to go in there and try to change, change it to be my way just for a visit. That's not... 
that's not um, respectful of the visitor or the um, the people receiving you. Right. So I, I think that um, I think a lot of people when they go to Saudi Arabia in particular, they will wear the veil or Iran because yeah. they're they're much more fundamental and strict. How much how much do you think that you know protocol uh, impacts? Uh, uh, diplomatic relations between countries. I mean, obviously, in the examples uh, you gave, uh, and there's many more, I'm sure that you can give us. But do you think that the way that France decided to organize those meetings had an impact in uh, in the end result? Yes, yes, I do think so. I think that the uh, Iranians uh, were much more comfortable in Italy. Obviously, the talks went much more smoothly. Uh, then, then in France, they didn't they didn't join them for dinner at all, and that's mm-hmm. where you have a chance to build relationships. Right. And so I don't, you know, it's it's a catch twenty two. You know, it's it's what what uh, is mandated. You know, are we going to? Uh, there, I'm sure that a lot of thinking went into that. A lot of people sat around the table and said, "Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that?" And they must have known what the fallout would have been. So that was their choice. However, who are you going to please? Right, right, and 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 I'm sure that you know protocol definitely has an influence on on, on the behavior of the diplomats during these official visits and these meetings. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It was a uh, President Biden went to Saudi Arabia not that long ago to encourage them to to produce more oil, mm-hmm. and right. when, he, when he met uh, the the. the what is the MBS? <laughs> uh, he went and he did a fist bump. When he met him at the palace, yeah. and I would have advised not to do that, even though, of course, it was coming right out of the pandemic. However, uh, the the visual or the visual perception was not good. You don't walk up to somebody and give them a, a fist bump, even at that level, it's particularly at that level. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when you go to Asia, it depends on how low you bow, and or maybe not not bowing lower than the Japanese or the Chinese, for instance, and knowing knowing that you want to keep everything on a level equal. There was, um, you sent me a bunch of material uh, to help, uh, you know, in, in preparation of this, uh, of this episode. And I was looking through it and I saw um, a picture that you had and uh, everyone will remember it because it was such a shocker. And that was when, when when this migration crisis first uh, occurred after the Syrian war and obviously we had this situation with Turkey and they wanted funds from Europe to secure refugee camps etc and there was a meeting uh in Turkey uh with uh, the European officials and, and I believe it was the president of the, the the European Commission they had her sitting on a sofa so far away from the Turkish president who was sitting literally next to, I think, the, the president of the European uh, uh, Parliament. Um, yeah. and, and I remember that picture going around making international news and thinking, how is she still sitting there? And, and you understand with more of a Western culture, there is no woman in a position of power that would have ever even accepted that because, I mean, the visuals were so strong. Yes, they were. It was called Sofa Gate. She was relegated <laughs> yeah. to the sofa when her colleague, Charles Michel, was, he actually took the seat on the on the right of the president, which is the seat of honor, mm. but which was not very chivalrous to, be, to start with. And then she was relegated to the sofa. You could tell she was a little surprised. One doesn't know what to do with that in that mm. case, but she handled it very well. She could have stalked out of the room, but she didn't. Right. Uh, and uh, but she sat it out and actually the court of public opinion really took her side, though. So she actually won. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she won the day. And then Charles Michel was um, was uh, was based it really on, on, on the media. And then he came out with a, some sort of explanation like, oh, that's the very, very um, proper Turkish protocol. No such thing, obviously. So. Mm-hmm. Had he done the right thing, he would have done damage control. He would have come out and apologized and uh, all would be well. But no, he did not do that. So he should have done that. 
And then who to bless and who to blame? Which protocol people? Was it her protocol people didn't set it up properly? Was it the Turkish people didn't set it up properly? Was it policy? Was that already like in in France and um, Italy? Was it set up ahead of time? Was it meant to be a slight? Was it signaling something to her? She actually was going to have a... uh, Uh, The Turkish did not want to be part of the Convention on Human Rights for Women. Mm -hmm. That was was her her mission. And um, so, again, human rights for women in Russia might not, or Turkey rather, Mm -hmm. might not be top of mind for the uh, Turkish president. So he was sending a message. But you you opened the door to an interesting interesting, uh, concept there because you know, it's not just one team organizing this, uh, the, the, this, these visits and the, the entire protocol. Every politician, I'm assuming the European delegation was probably under the umbrella of one um, protocol team. But then you have to deal with the protocol team in Turkey. So they must have known that the woman is going to sit on the couch. And, uh-huh. you, you know, anyone can imagine those conversations happening where it's like, what are you talking about? Let's can we not have three chairs, for example? Uh, uh-huh. And I, I'm just trying to imagine that conversation, that back and forth between those two uh, chiefs of protocol. It, it must have been quite spectacular. <laughs> it, it, it was really insane when you think about it. Um, how, how something like that can happen. Because there's no way that they went there and surprise you're sitting on the couch. No. No, no. So it, it looked like it was meant to be that that was the message that they wanted to um, um, they wanted to send. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's protocol can be fascinating. You mentioned something about the protocol teams have to. There are the advanced teams. Mm-hmm. Supposing I was um, going to Turkey, I would, an advanced team, if I were the president, an advanced team would go ahead of time and meet with the protocol people in Turkey. And that's when all the arrangements are made. And in, in our five-day program, I talk about understanding cultures mm-hmm. because leadership changes. People lead in different, in different ways in different cultures. And we have to know that because you're leading a team and you're working with another team from another culture. So you have to understand their leadership style to get cooperation. Um, and of course, the cross-cultural tenets, one tenet is a big one. It's called time, time mm-hmm. management. How do people uh, value time? Uh, some people are multifocus in that they do a lot of things at once. And other people are single focus. It's one thing at a time. And that would be the U.S. Because time is money. But in other parts of the world, they might be building relationships. They might be playing a round of golf before the meeting. Right. And they, they have much more. Uh, I wonder, is it like that in Greece? <laughs> a little bit. In, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there must be some sort of protocol team there. But I, I and I've never I've never worked with them. I've never I've never seen them. But uh uh, I've been part of certain meetings um, uh, with uh, Canadian parliamentarians in uh, in Greece, and it, and it worked flawlessly. But everyone, uh, I remember everyone was just very relaxed, very chill. Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll take care of it kind of thing, you know? Uh, nothing official. I mean, they weren't going for trade negotiations. It was just official visits, right? Uh, parliamentarians um, from uh, Quebec of Greek origin going to Greece. And I guess for them, it was just plug and play. Okay, they're coming. This is what we're going to do. Uh, it was pretty standard. It was it was a repetitive um, activity that would happen every two years. So for them, it was, okay, this is what's going to happen. Let's just figure out the program so i think it was much more focused on content rather than who's coming and you know where they're going and how things are going to work out i think that had already been planned over the years and they had it down to a science right so it worked well but i do have to highlight that they're always very relaxed uh, when you're dealing with them uh, don't worry about it we'll, we'll figure it out we'll figure it out <laughs> you know so again i don't know what's happening behind those scenes if last minute everyone is scrambling and rushing but uh from our end, it was always seamless. Yeah, I think it's 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 the culture. The Canadians are very uh, they're very laid back, mm-hmm. and the U.S. are very laid back. It's also generational. I don't think uh, millennials are quite as as conservative or are formal mm-hmm. as perhaps the baby boomers, and then they got more formal even uh, before that. Yeah. So I think it's a generational difference, and and also. 
in the old days, diplomats would uh, only um, deal with other diplomats, and they mm-hmm. were all they all grew up in the same way. They went to the same schools, so they understood each other. Now, there's a diplomacy is network diplomacy. We right. we have to interact with scientists, um, uh, economists, uh, and specialty um, diplomats. Right. So they come from everywhere, and 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 they all come, particularly the more um, would you say technically uh, technically uh, efficient uh, diplomats? They might not be big on relationship building. All right. It's so just pure content. Give me the paperwork. Content. Let's Thank read. You. Yes, it's pure so, content. So how 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 has protocol evolved? Uh, you know, over time, especially in the field of diplomacy. I mean, you mentioned. I don't know, maybe 40, 50 years ago, it was diplomat to diplomat, let's arrange. And now there's all these intermediary um, people that are just running to make sure that everything is okay. Uh, How has that evolved over the years? Well, it has evolved and it's evolving very quickly. As I said, the protocol in the baby bone generation was much more formal than it is now in the millennials. And Mm it will be less formal with the Gen Zs. However, uh, it's 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 becoming everything is becoming more technical. We've got AI and ChatGPT, and the um, the effects of that on diplomacy, on diplomacy and hence protocol, uh, will be uh, huge uh, because you know there's there's a a big danger of a breakdown in communications because of. Got, they can even mimic voices, your voice, right. you know, all of that. And, you know, for diplomacy, I worry about that. So that, the, so, and that will affect protocol. It will affect how we set up meetings. Uh, will, will things be in place? Or will we get messages that um, are counterproductive and that, that are very believable? So I think um, protocol and diplomacy is getting much more complex than it was, and to me, worrisome. Right. I want to go back to what you said about the advanced teams, and uh, you know, the, the, this is another group of people that nobody sees. Right. They they, they mm-hmm. kind of work behind the scenes, but they're everywhere, and they have to make sure that everything is so perfect. And I remember a moment, you know, here years ago, we were in, we were campaigning here in Quebec, and. Uh, in, in in the particular district that we were organizing, there was the visit of the Quebec premier. He was going to come. It was a big rally, uh, and it was the electoral he- like uh, the campaign headquarters that we were that we were uh, that we were in charge of. And his advance team walks in, and they were in charge. They were just pointing fingers and saying mm-hmm. things, and we were just there taking notes. And this is our space. They came mm-hmm. over and they completely took over. They walked in like these desks, they all leave. I don't want any cables, phones, and uh, computers disappear. Um, and these people have this expertise and they were able to see that the root, like the ceiling was lower towards the back than it was in the front of the room. And uh-huh. their eye picked it up and yes. they actually measured. And I was like, why are you measuring? Like, what difference does it make if it's, I don't know, uh, I don't know, a couple inches shorter in the back than it is in the front. And they took, uh, like, they took these details from, like, from A to Z. Every possible thing that they had to um, look at, they looked at it. Even the streets, they brought us a map. Uh, They told us, give us the directions. All the streets, like, in a, I don't know, a radius of five kilometers, what direction do they go? And I was thinking, it's not that dangerous. <laughs> like, what can possibly happen? Uh-huh. They, can't, they can't take this. They can't take this risk. In, right. in, in fact, another fun story, because that district that I worked in provincially is the exact same district that Justin Trudeau wins at the federal level. And Justin Trudeau um, is became the prime minister of Canada. He he won the leadership of his party. and But he represents that exact same district where we were, but at the provincial government. And we were used to working with his teams very often and we were, it was all very relaxed, right? Cause he was just a, a, an elected official like everyone else before being prime minister. So everyone was pretty much, you know, um, uh, used to certain organization and certain things and nobody was concerned about potential dangers. And in that same district every year, it's the huge parade. The Greek independence day parade happens in that district because there's a huge percentage of greek population and the first year that he became prime minister it was something 
out of a movie. We got there, and obviously you have all the dignitaries and all the elected officials, and then Justin Trudeau arrives, and all of a sudden we see snipers on rooftops, and there's like dozens of people camouflaged and dressed in in regular clothes walking around. The cops, it was this this team of hundreds of people, and we were all thinking relax nothing is going to happen but they can't they can't think like that yeah but if those measures are not in place then somebody who has nefarious uh, intentions yeah, yeah. let's say something fact, does yeah let's yeah, say something does to, happen yeah they have to um, give the impression that you know what don't even try it that so that's why that, that that's all the details have to be covered and um actually the proposal we we just did you know, on a protocol team, it's like an umbrella. You have to have director of transportation, director of security, director of um, small events, director of the big events, director of the opening ceremonies, director of the closing ceremonies. <laughs> As I say, I've just done it. For, uh, this is a 20-page pr- proposal mm-hmm. for all of that. And the, the um, I, I'm just looking here. But, well, that, that's interesting. Let's go on that. You're organizing an event. What are the main steps that you're looking into? Uh, let's say you have, a, I don't know, a state visit, you know, like an official visit, maybe not a head of state, but, you know, a minister or a prominent finger, a figure in government coming They're They're, 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 they're going to discuss uh, any agreement or negotiation, whatever. What goes through your mind? What are the, what are those main essential elements that you need to to check like all those little boxes first thing is who's coming mm-hmm. what's their rank obviously the flight information do they have medical medical issues uh will there be security will there be a problem bringing um, guns or arms through the airport um again who's that who's in the delegation uh when they arrive will they need anthems will there be a receiving line Will there be a red carpet? Actually, there's a good story. One protocol person told me, and I won't tell you who he was, <laughs> um, that uh, all, everything was ready and the big, uh, the presidential plane was about to land. The red carpet flew up because it was very windy. Oh, no. <laughs> you, know, you know, things happen. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the dignitaries, it, it's all precedence then. Who's going to be in the line of who's going to meet the visiting dignitary? And then... Um, they, they, they have a speech, perhaps, or, or talk, at least a welcome um, talk at the airport right there. And then, of course, you go to the motorcades and then the security that's involved in that. Uh, who goes first? Do they know the routes? Are they are the drivers trained um, not to talk or what to say or not to say anything? Sometimes mm-hmm. they say things. And uh, I, I have a lot of stories on that, too. We had uh, actually... Uh, 96 ambassadors visit us here in San Diego and I was on the protocol team and again we had the transportation we had uh, the, the events uh, the security I'm just trying to think of the, the different roles we are media of course that's a big one and um, so uh, they all decided to come together at the beginning they said they'd come in different flights so we had to scurry around and get every uh, Every uh, car, every Uber, every every uh, possible uh, means of transportation to pick them up at the airport, and there was no time to train the drivers. So there was an ambassador coming from an Asian country, and the the driver of the limousine got out. We picked them up in the tarmac, and she said, "Are you the little lady from <laughs> such and such a country?" Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I heard about that like that. Oh, you know, you just never know. Yeah, yeah, that's what you're saying. It's best not to talk. Just open the door. Don't say anything. Exactly. But you know, you can't blame her because we're very casual here in the US. Right. Yes. And yes. she had no idea. And so, you know, things will happen. There was no time to, to talk to them, there was no time to train them. So that's why protocol can make you all very quickly. Oh, yes. And, and, you know, in in addition to that giant puzzle that you need to think of and to make sure that all the pieces at least need to be somewhere, uh, you know, at at arm's length, right, that you can instantly just fix your puzzle. But then in addition to that, there's also the local authorities. I mean, you're you're, you're mentioning um, uh, traveling and cars and routes. I mean, are the roads open? Are they closed? Do we is the police collaborating? Can we close certain roads to facilitate the um, the, the the 
the driving. There's so many things that need to go. Like on average, what does your team look like? How many people do you do do, do you manage that are involved in such an operation? It, it, it depends on the on the operation. Sometimes it's five. Sometimes it's ten. Mm. It really depends on the level of operation. They're all different. Is it an official visit? Is it non-official visit? Is it a state visit? There's different levels of, of visits. And uh, <laughs> I was thinking back to something you said about the, the details in a room that they look at. Another one is air conditioning. Oh. Will the air conditioning vent come towards the principal or will it be away from them? Right, right, right. <laughs> That's just a little taste <laughs> but see, it's a little it's a little detail uh, you know the, the the ideal situation is that no one notices no like, no one it, notices but, yeah, if no, if, but if nobody if nobody notices it means things went well because mm -hmm. if it's too hot or if it's too cold it means that something wasn't thought about uh properly right absolutely and uh on another occasion actually during that visit of the 96 ambassadors we had the um events in private homes, beautiful palatial homes here in San Diego. And everything was going swimmingly at a breakfast. Everybody was sitting around the pool. We had chosen the the colors of the tablecloths. The, everything was set up just beautifully. And the, the, the umbrellas. And um, next thing was I looked to my side and I saw a little bit of a scuffle. I thought, oops, oops. <laughs> one of the ambassador's wives had fallen off the chair. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And, uh, of course, ran over, you know, apologies everywhere, red faces everywhere. And, but what I, this was early days. And what I learned from that is in an event, particularly where you, you have rentals, this was a rental, it wouldn't happen at a conference like the UN or something like that, where mm. you have, you know, everything is uh, beautifully laid out. But in something like that, I learned that I will sit on every chair. Oh, wow. I'll have someone on my team sit on every chair. That's mm. not going to happen in my lifetime again. Yes. But we again, you know, you earn your stripes. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the political message that could be sent through protocol. Uh, again, you sent me a picture as an example uh, where it was... Um, The, the, the crowning of the of the of the new king the, the that ceremony and uh obviously with the US there's never been a president that has gone to any ceremony because of you know the the, the history but president biden did send his wife and his granddaughter and you sent me a picture where they're sitting all the way at the very last seat <laughs> you would imagine that the the, the 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 wife of the american president would have some sort of priority perhaps not in the first row or second but maybe third or yes. I don't know, somewhere in the front what yeah. kind of what kind of that must have been done on purpose as well right i mean it can't just be a surprise oh we forgot about you mrs uh, mrs first lady here let's add a, two more chairs somewhere in the back i i know it, it seems strange didn't it um i asked about that actually and it could have been termed it was unofficial because she was there unofficially when she was not there with the president. Mm. That's one explanation. Another explanation could have been, well, um, maybe, maybe something with Prince Harry, the America he's living in America. And perhaps uh -huh. there was some, you know, there, there's a, a rift in the crown. Um, so maybe it had something, something to do with, um, but isn't there, maybe, isn't But, But it was it's, strange. It was strange. It's definitely I, I strange. It's definitely strange because you would imagine there's like an order of importance of foreign dignitaries coming. Mm -hmm. And even though the president of the United States isn't there, the fact that the first lady is coming, she's not elected. She's not the president, but it's still the president's wife. So somewhere, been. somewhere down the, the importance and in the in the protocol, she must fit somewhere. Right. Oh, she should. Well, in my um, in my opinion, she should have. Mm -hmm. But also, they may have been a little miffed that the President Biden didn't go. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is huge. This is a once in a lifetime event. Yeah, but that shouldn't have come as a surprise because everyone knew that that has never happened before because of, you know, the historic past. And uh, even though relations are, are, you know, I don't think they could be any better uh, symbolically. Uh, at least that's what the media portrayed over here. They made it seem as though 
Um, don't worry, you won't see the president of the United States, but it's completely normal because of such and such reason, right? So it, I think the media kind of laid yes. out, uh, laid, laid laid the facts out beforehand so that they can control people's expectations. I don't know in the, uh, in other countries how that was uh, how that was perceived, but over here in Canada. I think the media did a good job in preparing everyone not to see the president because of whatever history. And they kind of downplayed it as if it wasn't that important for the president to be there. But yeah. his wife uh, will be there. So they, they kind of counterbalanced it with that. But when I saw the picture you sent me, I was like, Jesus Christ. I mean, what what is she doing in the back? I mean, I would think in the order of importance, she would have some role or some better seating arrangement. I think I think it was uh, I think the U.S. lost face in that instance, and uh, the media tried to smooth it out uh, and you know not make it look as um, as severe as as it really was, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. there, there, there's a funny story, uh, and the Greeks definitely remember this. It was when the previous government was in power um, with uh, President uh, Prime Minister Tsipras, and he was receiving the Israeli. Uh, Prime Minister, it was uh, Mr. Netanyahu, and wow. uh, this was. We even got this clip over here in Canada on Greek television. It was so absurd; it made news over here, um, where they hadn't um, they, they hadn't prepared uh, for the translators. So, and this was direct, right? So normally in events, from my experience, they're usually in a booth somewhere. There is an earpiece. You have professional interpreters and they get it right away. For some reason, I, I don't know why, they had translators live on the side somewhere. You couldn't see them. And uh, so, so the Greek prime minister was talking in Greek and he was pausing for his interpreter to say it in English for uh, uh for uh, prime minister netanyahu to understand and at some point there's this block and he couldn't remember the words he couldn't and it was so embarrassing it was so awful to the point where uh <laughs> the the prime minister netanyahu just said look just let's go on don't worry about it the, you know and uh -huh. he just, it was so embarrassing and, and immediately i just thought oh damn that protocol team messed up big time yeah it, it's very important obviously there's simultaneous and there's consecutive um um translation simultaneous they're getting this they're getting it all at once because they have the earphones on mm -hmm. and consecutive then there's a time lag and so by the time they get to the next question then they've forgotten what the former right. question was. that's what you're saying and that is of course it at that level that should not have happened uh <laughs> Tell me a little bit. You mentioned some challenges going forward uh, with the advent of uh, uh, artificial intelligence and, uh, you know, chat GPT and all these things now that we can alter people's speeches. Um, what do you see going forward like the next five years? How is this uh, industry, if you want, how is this domain going to get impacted either positively or negatively? I think already uh, and I'm not harping on millennials or Gen Z, I think they already have issues with building relationships um, uh, because they grew up on the internet and they have the, the, the phones, they're, they're attached to the phones. Uh, you know, you walk down the street, they're just looking at their phones. Mm -hmm. So just building relationships, I think, is the lifeblood of diplomacy, number one. So that's an issue already. So then they have... Um, then along comes all of the messages online, virtual meetings. Virtual meetings are great and they were fabulous during the pandemic, but they didn't give people time to build relationships. You, it's, there's nothing like meeting in, present, mm -hmm. uh, in person, For nothing. Sure. Like it. Not, mm -hmm. And even with diplomacy, it's that side chat, chat or back channel chat mm -hmm. that might move things along. Mm -hmm. And so if everything's going to be virtual, there's no chance to do something like that. So that, 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 that's even before we get to AI. And AI, of course, uh, it's, it's going to have wonderful attributes, I mean, medically and in other ways. However, my sense and my fear is that once it gets out of control, then we can't communicate um, accurately messages. Uh, and that can totally, totally uh, disrupt diplomacy. 
and you know, all it takes is is one wrong message, and then you know the consequences could be dire. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Uh, I have to say, I'm worried about it, and I hope they put the guardrails on it. And uh, they're working on it here in the U.S. and they've worked. They're working on it in Europe. My my sense is, but are they working on it in other parts of the world, or are they just going ahead um, to use it any way they they decide that will be to their benefit? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's I I just hope I just have to try to be optimistic about it, but it does worry me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to wrap it up. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I, I want to go back to that master's degree that you just completed in contemporary diplomacy. What's what's the deal with contemporary? What is contemporary diplomacy? How much has it changed so that there is a master's program uh, given on understanding contemporary diplomacy? Is everything that you just mentioned now included in this? Like, how do we understand diplomacy going forward? Yeah. Well, an example would be we did internet governance. Now, I never thought, I'm not technically uh, bent. I don't really, I had avoided if I could, but I have to, obviously. Mm -hmm. But we did internet governance. And uh, that was where I learned about all the undersea cables and um, the tech industry and social media, how it works, and the politics behind it, too. And um, consider this, uh, I think is I don't know how many cables down this, the um, these um, the uh, the under undersea cables. Mm-hmm. However, just have one of them disrupted. There's diplomacy already. Uh, was it was it in, intentional, or was it just a a break a breakage? And then of course there's net neutrality. Some countries want to have their own internet. Mm. And um, cutting it off from the rest of the world. Again, that's a diplo- that that um, affects diplomacy. Uh, another course was multilateral diplomacy, and uh, that was a fabulous um, insight into how things worked at the United Nations mm-hmm. and the Security Council. Actually, in particular, was uh, interesting because here we have the members of the Security Council. I think it's five, and you're trying to get something passed. But if there's the Chinese are there, the Russians are there, the U.S. are there, they'll they'll only pass what's in their interests. Mm-hmm. So nothing ever gets passed in the Security Council. Right. No, nothing. But still, the UN is the anchor for peace in the world. Mm-hmm. There isn't anything to replace it. Uh, but how effective is it? It really depends on on how you view it. So right. we learned a lot about that. And then the language of diplomacy. I found this one really, really even. I, I loved this class. This was um, it's it's how what you say can be interpreted or misinterpreted. How do you persuade people? Persuade people. What's how do you make an argument? And particularly in interviewing situations, being prepared for um, all kinds of eventualities because you'll have the interviewer that really is out to get you. And how are you going to counter that? Mm-hmm. I found that that's fascinating. That's so necessary in all areas of diplomacy. And the, the last um, course was on public diplomacy, and that was the influence of uh, media, social media, and um, uh, how it influences uh, not just the public diplomacy in the host country where the diplomat is, but also the public diplomacy in their home country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, it really was, I will say it was worthwhile. It was a lot. And then my thesis was on um, our diplomatic academies meeting the needs of the modern diplomat. And I honed in on emotional intelligence. In fact, that that's what I forgot to say when I think of the protocol in the future. Emotional intelligence is something that it would have been assumed that diplomats have it. But if you never got the chance to build it, if you've always been online, uh, you don't uh, you don't uh, build those skills of self awareness, self regulation, how to build trust, self um, uh, building relationships, all of those things. So now my, my my theory was it needs to be included in diplomatic training programs. Right. Um, anyhow, that 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 led to that, and then here it is. Um, before we wrap up, uh, Marie, tell me a little bit if uh, what are you working on right now, and where can we direct people to uh, to follow you and to uh, to uh, to see up close the, the the great work that you're doing. 
Uh, thank you. Well, the, the five-day uh, Train to Meet International Protocol Specialist is here in San Diego, and it's in September 11th to the 15th, and um, we hope to have a, a good turnout for that of uh, chiefs of protocol, uh, people in business, entrepreneurs. Uh, it, it's, it's open to everybody that really wants to understand culture, protocol, corporate etiquette, um, and then, of course, uh, VIP, hosting VIPs. And But I also was the former director of the international relations for the World Trade Center here in San Diego. Okay. So this is where the business aspect comes in. We had delegations come through and then how to how to entertain them and also know all about the companies here in, in San Diego. You're a matchmaker. Put them together and and set up the meetings for them. You know, again, uh, it, it nurtures success for negotiations. And then you create relationships where you affect the economy of the region. Of that was uh, one of my favorite jobs, too. We're going to make sure to link that in the description for anyone interested in uh, following you up, uh, following you more closely. And, uh, of course, uh, the, the, the your institute. Um, I want to thank everyone again for tuning in. And, of course, uh, feel free to visit www.strategyinternational.org for all the beautiful work being done over there. Marie, thanks again uh, for coming. It was really, uh, really great to talk to you and to uh, you, and for you to lighten up our, uh, our listeners and our viewers on this very important work that is done behind the scenes. Thank you so much. Remember, it's not about handshakes and cocktail parties. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everyone. Thank we'll you see you so again. Much. We'll see you again in the next episode. Take care, everyone. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Strategy International podcast. Produced by PodMTL for Strategy International. Feel free to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcasts can be found. This podcast is made for Strategy International Limited Cyprus. All copyrights reserved. This podcast, audio or audiovisual, may not be reproduced, duplicated, copied, sold, resold, visited, or otherwise exploited for any commercial, scientific, educational purpose without the written consent of Strategy International Limited and its legal representative.